0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the webinar. The title of it is Porn, Perplexity and Possibility. I want to talk about a difficult subject matter, as you already know, as you hear the title. This is not a conversation that we normally have, but it is a conversation that we need to have because of the rise of this social contagion. Pornography has always been with us. It is a historical problem, but it has most definitely intensified over the past generation because of the rise of social media. Children now have access to pornography like never before. The uh, common, I think the average age of a child having a phone today is eight years old, which is just unbelievable but it gives them a portal they have instant ubiquitous access to pornography and it is an addictive uh, a pursuit and many of us are addictive to it and i know for those that do struggle with that addiction i pray that this webinar will be beneficial for you and then for those of us who come alongside others Uh, May God give you some instruction and clarity as I move through this webinar where it will benefit you as you serve your friends. My name is Rick Thomas. I'm very glad that you are here and pray that you will persevere as we move through this challenging, but I trust, insightful webinar. Before I get into point number one, I do want to give you a roadmap of where I'm going so that you'll have a good idea of the journey that I'm going to take you on There are eight stops along the way. Point number one is sexual temptation. Number two is men and temptation. Number three, the backward addiction. Number four, parents encouraging porn. And then number five, I'll talk about looking for porn. Point number six, overcoming temptation. And then sexual conversations. And then finally, the last stop of the train practically speaking so that is an overview a roadmap of where we are going to go let me back up to point number one sexual temptation and my big idea that i want to communicate under this point is that it is a universal problem. I am not saying that you have made the same choices of others or that you're suffering under the burden of the consequences of others, but I am saying that we all are part of the collective because we all are falling individuals. But again, that's not our starting point. If you're going to talk about sex, the essential place to begin is how sex and sexual relationships were always supposed to be. Sex was good, and Adam and Eve enjoyed their sexual relationship. They were not ashamed. Naked and sharing the most intimate love relationship two human beings could enjoy with each other, and that is how things were always supposed to be. And so sex and sexuality is a good thing. God created it. He brought man and woman together, and they have... They were supposed to enjoy each other sexually all of their lives. Well, then things changed. There's Genesis 3. We turned the page. But when we turn the page, it's important to understand that a desire for sex did not change. The fact that we are sexual creatures did not change. And so we brought our sex and sexuality into total depravity. And so Genesis 3 did not eradicate the good things the Lord had made. But the fall did change how we've thought about those things and how we desire them. And so all of us are Genesis 3 strugglers or post-Genesis 3 strugglers. And that's the big idea under point number one: sexual temptation. It is a universal problem. And so if you hear about someone who's struggling with a sexual addiction, or if someone comes to you and they share their struggle with you, we want to guard our hearts and make sure we don't brand them like a lesser person in the human race because they're honest about how God made them as a sexual creature and how the devil has twisted them, total depravity their struggle could be because of impure thoughts that manage their minds that have taken their thoughts captive it could be because something has happened to them in their childhood that has twisted their understanding of sex and its purposes and we hear about this all the time children being abused and then they labor under the burden of that for decades well we want to be careful Regardless of how they got there, we don't want to brand them as lesser people, as though we're outside the possibility of being tempted similarly. And so sexual temptation is a universal temptation, quite frankly, because it is supposed to be. Total depravity is a thing. That affects all of us, and so we want to be careful how we think about those who are struggling. And if you are struggling, I want you to know that you are experiencing something that is quite normal. You're not abnormal. God made you a sexual creature, and we are fallen creatures, and so how we think about those things and how we uh, participate in those things can become distorted, and so if you're struggling with And addiction, my appeal to you, would be to come forward, to communicate, and to find that help that you need. And then for those of us who are on the helping side of things, we want to sympathize with them. Jesus, who was tempted in all points as we are, was a sympathizing Savior, not a condemning one. And so point number one is that, well, can, or question number one under this point is, can we admit that we all struggle with temptation. And if we can, then we will not see ourselves as better people or better than others. We want to treat strugglers the way the Lord treats us when we bring our struggles to him. And so point number one, sexual temptation It is a universal problem. May we level the playing field so that we can come alongside others and restore them in a spirit of gentleness, as Paul said in Galatians 6.1. My second point of my eclectic list of topics is men and temptation. So now I want to talk about men, but I want to talk specifically to the females in the audience. I will come back and talk about you later, but right now I want to talk to you about men, and specifically if you are in a dating relationship. Now I am not talking about the 14 and 15 year old who are dating because this is not a conversation that is appropriate for you. However, if you see the marriage alter not so far in your distant future, then this is an essential conversation for you to plan for and to pray toward having with your boyfriend. And the reason I say that is because the dating life is a wonderful, charmed, fun, romantic, put your best foot forward, but a somewhat artificial season where you do not see the truest colors of each other. Now, you may have had arguments along the way, and if you have been dating for more than a year, more than likely they have been disappointments during the dating season. But whatever has happened to you will pale in comparison to a 24-7 uninterrupted bond that will only break at death. And so I have the most important question that you're going to be asked today which is worse to find out now that your boyfriend is a sexual addict a porn addict or to find out 15 years from now three children later that your husband is a porn addict that predated your initial relationship, the start of your relationship with him? Well, we know the answer to that question. It would be far worse to find out 15 years from now. And by the way, I have sat in that chair and counseled those couples who did, where the wife did find out 15 or 20 years later, and it is far worse. It is way more complicated. It would be much better to know now and so therefore that is my challenge to you that you pray about if you haven't already to step into these transparent and honest conversations with your boyfriend now by the way Uh, What I'm suggesting here also applies to those of you, you wives, you're married, this is a conversation that you must have with your husband, and I am aware that many marriages are not stable enough to where you can have this conversation, and so this can be a prayer request as you talk to the Lord about having a future conversation with your husband, because it is essential as your Uh, You are his come-alongside discipler, as my wife is my primary discipler, because she has more intel on me, she knows me better than anyone else, and she's in the best position to bring care to my soul. This has to be part of the conversation. And if he is humble, then... He will be willing to talk to you appropriately about these matters. The gospel sets the captives free. Therefore, the gospel-centered and gospel-empowered human being, well, he has nothing to fear and nothing to protect and nothing to hide. He he is truly free, and he is willing to step into that freedom and have this conversation with you. If he does not have this conversation with you, then perhaps that is your first sign that something is amiss. If he is defiant, if he's resistant, if he's deflective, if he shuts the argument down, if he gets angry, if he plays it down, it could be a sign that there is something deeper and possibly even more sinister going on in his life. And I don't want to create and elevate suspicion in your mind, but I want to speak as honestly about this matter since I am in it here, talking about porn addiction I'm I want to go for broke and so I want to uh, talk about all aspects of porn addiction so that you have a you can walk into this with your eyes wide open again I don't want you to be cynical or suspicious but I do want you to be discerning and there is a difference between those things and so your first sign will be his reaction as you enter into this conversation but before you enter in Perhaps there are some questions that you can ask yourself as you privately evaluate your boyfriend or evaluate your husband. Question number one Does he use sexual language? Does he use flirty language? Number two How does he treat you? How does he treat his mother? How does he treat his sisters? For those of you who are dating and you have your eye on, marriage well you already have an indication of how he thinks about and how he treats women because he has been living with at least his mother i would imagine for 20 plus years if he has sisters he's been living with them for a while and so you know how he thinks about women how he talks about them and how he treats them when he gets married he's not going to change he's going to be who he always has been only repentance changes us and so you have a snapshot about how he treats women or how he will treat you in the future by how he talks about his mother uh, how he communicates with her how he interacts with her and possibly sisters does he protect you and your body does he look at the opposite sex and in appropriate ways. Now you can slow this webinar down. You can pause it and jot these questions down or take screenshots if you wish, but I do have a lot of ground to cover, so I'm going to keep moving, but please uh, always remember you can slow this down and stop at any point. Question number five, does he have a problem watching sexual movie content? What are his favorite movies? Which ones have you all watched, that he enjoys? And what does that say about him? Is he appropriately open about his weaknesses? Now, as the relationship progresses, these are not conversations you have on your first on the blind date. Uh, but again, if you have your eye on the altar and you're getting close to that, then your conversation has to grow in maturity and openness and honesty. And at some point, there needs to be Always appropriate, but there needs to be openness about weaknesses. Is he modest with what he wears? Does he want you to dress modestly? This is point number two, men and temptation, understanding your man is the subtitle. And the big question I'd open up with, which is worse, finding out now or finding out 15 years later? later. Point number three is the backward porn addiction. Let me give you a quick backstory as to how this term came about. It was in a counseling session where a lady found out her husband had committed adultery, and as the counseling progressed to the restoration point where her husband was doing better and they were doing better, and by the way, they're doing very well today, Uh, They're in ministry, they have a beautiful family, and God has restored this marriage. But during the counseling process, as the conversation began to move away from the speck, the adultery, and the wife wanted to start addressing the log in her eye, which speaks so much to her humility, She introduced this term to me, which I had never heard before. She called it a backward porn addiction, and I asked her, I said, what does that mean? And so I'm going to give you the paraphrase of what she told me. She said a backward porn addiction is the person who intentionally catches the gaze of others through physical manipulation, either by what they wear or by how they look. The intent is to draw attention to oneself, to feed the craving to feel better about themselves." And I thought, this is absolutely phenomenal. Not just what she was describing here, because it was not only creative, but it was insightful. But in the context in which she was sharing these things, her husband had committed adultery, her humility was through the roof that she was willing to, since we're in this and we're talking about sex and sexuality, specifically adultery, we need to address all the issues as it pertains to uh, our uh, romantic and sexual relationship. And so she is the one that brought this up. And it was a powerful point that I never forgot. And so that's why I've inserted it here, because I just got through in point number two, talking about men and the potentiality of their addiction to pornography and other sexually related things. Well, we want to make sure that we're not just addressing half of the demographic, the males in the audience. If we're going to deal with pornography, then we need to deal with it in a, plen- in a plenary way and and we have to address this issue because all of you know that this is a thing. It's a thing with men and women. Men can be uh, quite vain, uh, but in, in context of what she was saying, she's right. This is something that women would struggle with more. Guys are caught up more in the physical attraction and, and what they see, the physicality of a woman, but a woman would be more insecure and be more tempted to draw attention to herself or what my friend was calling a backward porn addiction. And there are three aspects to it, and I want to walk through all three of them. One is comparing, two is competing, and three is craving. And I'll explain all three of those, and I want to use scripture to do that. Comparing the scripture I have in view here is 2 Corinthians 10, 12, where Paul said that we, we do not dare to classify. We do not dare to compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves. But when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. The King James Bible says that they, they are not wise. Well, the opposite of that is, well, a person who does this is a fool, and so I just trust that Scripture will speak for itself, and may the Spirit of God illuminate whatever mind that needs to be eliminated, and if you have fallen prey to this idea of comparing yourself with with other people, uh, out of a heart of envy or jealousy or insecurity, that God would help you to break that habituation, and if you need to, that you would seek help, that maybe you have fallen prey to that you are encaptured by this idea of a backward porn addiction. The second aspect is competing. The text of Scripture is Philippians 2, 3, and 4, where Paul said, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also the interest of others. And so in context of a backward porn addiction, there is an element of comparing yourself to other people, and then of course there's a self-righteous element of where we are competing, where you scan the room uh, to see who you can look down on or who you can elevate yourself above. That is a self-righteous Posture of the mind that is born out of this deep-seated fear or insecurity about your physicality or the way that you uh, way that you look, and then the behavioral modification response to that is to dress in such a way to where again you're competing, and so you can draw the attention away uh, from the other people, and so Philippians two, three, and four speaks. Uh, very powerfully to that. And then point number three is craving. The text is Proverbs 29:25. The passage says, "The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts the Lord is safe. Now the idea here is that it's the person who is insecure. Fear of man means insecurity. A person who needs other people to approve them, to affirm them, to love them, to respect them, to accept them. All of those things is the constellation of the word cloud uh, that is in this person's heart. Because of their insecurity, they need affirmation and acceptance from other people. That's what fear of man is, and the writer here is saying that that is a trap. It is a a snare that you will put yourself in if you have fallen prey to need the approval of other people. What we want to have is we want to have trust in the Lord, and so rather than submitting ourselves to a little G-O-D, we want to submit ourselves to a capitalized G-O-D, Sovereign God, and we won't to crave his opinion we want his opinion to be satisfying to where all other opinions in the room are muted because God's opinion of me is so profound so potent so powerful and of course his opinion of me is that he sees Christ in me because of who I am in Christ God's opinion of me is fully satisfying and because of that I do not have to crave or uh, fall prey to the opinion of other people. Therefore, I don't have to dress in such a way to manipulate the opinion of other people for liking me. And so a backward porn addiction has three heart idolatries, the comparing a person, the competing person, and the craving person. And I trust these three scriptures will benefit you. Now, to explore, just to go a little bit deeper in this idea, I want to ask you a a few questions that I trust will be helpful. Question number one, whose gaze do you think about first when you dress? So as you are getting dressed, whose attention are you trying to grab? Another way of asking the the same question, you could say it this way, do you dress to put God's name on display, or do you dress to put your physicality on display? display a a super important question and if we're really honest about ourselves we you you want to step into this and really explore this perhaps this would be a conversation that you could have with others number three how does God's glory impact your thoughts when it comes to your appearance and then number four would your friends say you are overly concerned about how you look that is a courageous question that I'm asking you and it would be a good question if you have the humility, if you have the gumption uh, to have this conversation, that would be important. And, and, and again, not just for women, but also uh, for guys, because guys, uh, we can we can be quite vain ourselves in how we uh, want to present ourselves to to the public. But would your friends say that you are overly concerned about how you look? Again, you can slow this webinar down. You can pause it, screenshot it, write the questions down if you wish. Here's one more. Can you leave your residence without being sinfully controlled by how you look? You're comfortable going out in a, a, a gown uh, to a Broadway show, and you're comfortable going out in, in sweats and And a t-shirt, because you're just bouncing down to the store to pick up whatever, and you're really just not overly concerned about how you look. Now, I'm not suggesting that you be a Wall Martian. If you don't know what a Wall Martian is, I mean, don't even Google it, Uh, but there's some people that actually need to be concerned by how they look, but I think you understand the point of the question here. And another way of asking that same question is, are you free not to wear makeup? There are some people who cannot go outside of their home without makeup and that is an element of bondage and that is something that i i pray that the spirit of god would just free you from because there's another kind of beauty Uh, That God really appreciates. And that will be my last question here in just a moment. But my next one is Do you secretly compare yourself to other women? And I've already addressed that with those three words that I introduced earlier about comparing and competing and craving. And then finally, here is the last question What feeds your thinking more, how the culture views beauty, or how God thinks about beauty, and that should free you. It should free a lot of women once they become God-centered, where their primary aim is the glory of God, and they're not managed so much by what they think other people are thinking about them. So this is point number three, backward porn addiction, and may the Spirit of God do his good work and, and whatever heart that needs that good work to happen. Point number four, parents encouraging porn. Now this will be a little bit tricky, so I want you to listen slowly and carefully. I want to draw two Parallels, and on one hand, it will seem like these two parallels are unrelated to each other, but yet there is a connection between the two things that I am going to present. And so, let me start talking about this parents encouraging porn by making this statement. A child can be in porn training, and I put the words porn training in quotation marks because I am not suggesting that parents are intentionally training children or introducing pornography to their children. But a child can be in, let's call it a subliminal. Porn training long before there is an awareness of porn or even a desire for it. And so the child has no idea what pornography is. He has no idea of the word pornography for a decade or more. However, the first 10 years of a child's life can be subliminal porn training. And so I want to give you five illustrations of how a couple relates to each other, and it communicates a message that has something to do with porn. So think carefully as I move through these five illustrations. The first illustration is a non-romantic marriage. And so you just have a non-romantic marriage. It's a, a business partnership. It's two people coexisting, but there's no sensuality, appropriate sensuality between the husband and wife, where the children, it's very obvious to the children that, that my daddy and my mommy, they love each other, they touch each other, they hug each other, they hug with each other, they smile when they talk, and they they won't know the word sensuality, and they won't articulate it that way. But as they get older, they'll say, my, my parents were very sensual. They were appropriate. But it was obviously, it was a romance that was happening before our eyes uh, throughout our entire childhood. And that's one of the things I'd appreciate about my parents. It was a romantic marriage. Well, here's the parallel. Porn training, and maybe I should say subliminal Porn, porn training. If you have a non-romantic marriage, you're not you're not interested in your wife or your your husband mm-hmm. that way. You're communicating a message that there are some women that are worthy of my attention, and there are some women that aren't worthy of my attention. If I if I'm going to communicate that message to my children, and I want my children to know that there there is a woman that is worthy of my attention, and it's not a porn woman, it is my wife. Her name is Lucia. We call her Saint Lucia. Uh, she is an island, and we want I want my children to know that, yeah, there are women that are worthy of my attention. In fact, there is one woman, and I want to exhibit that and show that through appropriate romance in our home, and I want them to, to see that because if you don't do that, then, well, a a, a a boy who is attracted to when he grows up to be a man and attracted to a woman, he hasn't been trained to be attracted to the right kind of woman, and it sets the stage for the possibility that, well, there's another kind of woman when it's not my wife uh, that is worthy of my attention and of my sensuality. And so a non-romantic marriage subliminally sends a message that there's some women who are worthy, some women aren't worthy of my attention, and obviously my wife is not one of those people who is worthy of my attention. And so we want our marriages to be romantic, and we want our children to be drawn into that kind of atmosphere and drawn into that kind of worldview so that it sets the stage for their future marriages. This is the template. This is This is where I want to focus my attention as far as a worthy person to love. And in this case, I'm talking about husbands loving their wives romantically, but it also applies to women uh, as well. Number two, the parallel is instant gratification. There's a parallel with training a child with instant gratification to pornography and so if you're training your children up and you're giving them everything that they want when they want it when they declare it and it's just an instant gratifying world environment in which they live in well that is a picture of pornography in fact that is what pornography is cyber women are downloadable and they are extinguishable when i want them i call them up i can get them in a a millisecond and then when i'm done i can be rid of them and so pornography is a picture of instant gratification and so you want to teach you want to parent children away from instant gratification you want to teach them other things like discretion and self-control and patience and deferring you don't want to create this habituation to where they have to have things instantly it sets the soil per chance they are ever introduced to pornography for whatever reason they already have the soil set in their souls uh, to where uh, they have been conditioned in an instant gratifying way these are the parallels and so a non-romantic message has a uh, non-romantic marriage has a subliminal message that's being communicated a parallel to pornography instant gratification has a subliminal message that is a parallel to pornography. And then number three, a non-communicative couple. Couples that don't talk to each other or they only talk about uh, utilitarian or business type things. Well, that too has a subliminal message to pornography. Married couples communicate less and less. And of course, that is a requirement for porn enjoyment because pornography is not about talking anyway. It is about something else. And so you want to elevate in your home communication. And this is important that we are a talking family. The husband is a talking person and the wife is a talking person and they talk to each other and they enjoy talking to each other and communication is a huge part of how we live together with each other. Therefore, it becomes valuable. It becomes something that is attractive, which is a counter message to what pornography is. And then number four, training children to where there are no consequences for actions. This is the spoiled child where they can do anything that they want to do, and there are no consequences. There's no discipline that is instilled in the child's life. There's no risk for the things that they do because they are permitted to do whatever it is that they want to do. And it teaches a false confidence through risk-free relationships. And of course, that is the parallel to pornography. There's Pornography is a risk-free relationship. As I talked about earlier, uh, porn women, for example, are extinguishable. They're downloadable and they are extinguishable. There's no risk in these relationships and there's no consequences for going down that road. And again, there is the parallel between how a home operates and how pornography also operates. And then finally, number five, a critical community in the home a community that criticizes one another they're angry with each other they're sarcastic toward each other they're putting each other down they're not building each other up as we read in Ephesians 4:29 they're not edifying one another but they're tearing one another down and here's the subliminal parallel to pornography Criticism and anger are the most common ways that we devalue others, and so if you train your children to devalue other people in the house, well pornography is the devaluation of other people. It's a devaluation of a woman, for example. A, woman, a, a guy doesn't care about her, there's no value about her, going back to a previous statement. Again, she's downloadable and she is extinguishable. Well, if you create a home environment where the image of God is not the beauty that is accentuated to where you value the other person, but you're always downgrading the other person through anger and criticalness, then it is a subliminal message. And again, we have the parallel in these five ways of parenting children. And as I said at the preface, you're not teaching them pornography. You haven't even introduced the word porn to them, but there's a subliminal way that you can set them up in specific habituations that if they ever are introduced to porn, that that fertile soil has already been conditioned to receive porn because of these five aspects of parents encouraging porn in their children all right point number five when looking for porn now what i mean by that when looking for porn i'm not talking about pornography but i'm talking about the source of it i want to transition the webinar to more practical application at this point we're at the halfway juncture and even though the first four points that i've made is very practical and there's so many takeaways that that you could have received from those first four points and and you work through the questions that i've been asking along the way so there's many practical tips and insights that Already, uh, I trust that are in your toolbox, but now I want to drill even deeper into the practical application for those who are struggling with pornography and those who are helping those who are struggling uh, so that we can deal with it even in a more intensely practical way. And so, when looking for the source of pornography, which is the point of this point, you always start in the heart. Jesus did not begin talking about behavioral sins by addressing the behavior first. The behavior is important, but his starting point was always the heart. He tied conduct to the core. And so whatever the core is, and of course in this webinar, we're talking about porn addiction, whatever the conduct is rather, we're talking about porn addiction. Well, then you draw a straight line from that conduct to the core. As he said in 645 of Luke, that out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so there's a direct line from what, uh, the behavior is to what the heart is generating. And so when looking for porn, one important aspect of this, knowing that it starts in your heart, it releases you from taking on a victim mindset. I mean, there are people who could say, my my dad introduced porn to me, or even those who have had horrific things happen to them That has shaped them in an adverse way, there can be a temptation to take on a victim mindset in the sense that the reason I am the way that I am is because of what happened to me out out there somewhere. Now granted, those things that happen to us and those influences that come into us, they do shape, they do influence, they do have impact, they can uh, create the habits that we find ourselves in, but we cannot continue to take on the role of a victim. That is not who we are as Christians. The word victim means vicarious. It is a person who is carrying the sin, and even though we may be carrying sin for a limited amount of time, At some point, we want to place that sin on Christ, who is the only one who can truly bear it. And so we don't want to take on the mantle or the identity of a victim throughout, because if we do, then there is no possibility of ever changing. And even if you have been victimized, which is a real thing, you want to find the help that you need so that you can cast that victimization on Christ who can truly carry it and vanquish it for you. And realizing that the choices that we make and the habituations that we are in, that they come from our heart and that we have a responsibility to respond to God in a righteous way, it actually gives us hope. The victim doesn't have hope. They are always under the power of what happened to them, where the person who will accept that I am a responsible person that I have agency therefore I can change then there is repentance and you can step into repentance which means change and so when looking for porn it's absolutely critical that we begin to examine our hearts about the choices that we ultimately are making and then we're positioning ourselves to the place to where we can change though there is gratification in porn, it does go much deeper than instant gratification. And so when it comes to understanding pornography and how it operates in our hearts, I want to give you some insight because sometimes People will think of pornography as primarily an external behavioral thing, which it is in a secondary sense, but pornography is a much deeper issue than what is seen visually or graphically portrayed on a screen. At the heart of pornography, porn is a private theater of the mind. Porn is internally motivating. It is where, for example the insecure or the frustrated man can be king for a day. You see, he can operate with a downloadable, extinguishable woman in a risk-free relationship where he can control the narrative and he can make her do whatever it is that he wants her to do. It is a private operation, the theater of the mind that motivates the person internally the insecure person or the angry man, where he can be king for the day. He is in control of this private universe, this theater that he has set up in his own mind when he enters his porn world. And in this private theater of the mind, it's usually a far cry from his real world that he lives in, in his day-to-day affairs, where he does not have control, where he is not in charge, where he is not king for the day. And so the insecure man can go into the theater of his mind, and he can enjoy this respite, this escape as he manages these cyber women and enjoys the process and what pornography brings to him. And that is the addictive nature of pornography. And as he does that, he feels a sense of control and he feels a sense of power. But what happens is eventually that process that he keeps entering into day in and day out, week in and week out, it eventually catches him. And Paul talked about it in Galatians 6.1. He says a person who is caught in a transgression and the word caught means habit it means addiction it means that you're not in control anymore that thing that you were doing that you were managing that you were controlling that you were pulling all that you were pulling all the levers Well, now it is pulling you. If you do something over and over again, it does become a habit. Now, habits can be wonderful things that help you to live well in God's world. But the downside of habits is that they can capture you and incarcerate you. And so the thing that you did to feel good about yourself and to have that brief respite and escape from the life that you're not enjoying in your real world now has incarcerated you. And so when looking for porn, it's important to understand that the starting place has to be always in the heart, the theater of the mind, what is going on in the heart of the porn addict, because porn addictive thinking is void of the gospel. The gospel is satisfying. The gospel frees us from these things, but there is something about the gospel that is not satisfying to the porn addict, rather than running into Christ to find him as our sole satisfaction. What the porn addict does is they're going out in another direction, and so porn pursuit happens when the gospel does not satisfy, and so there is a functional breakdown of the gospel in the porn addict's heart, and that is the antithesis that is set up. I am looking to be satisfied. I am am looking for pleasure, but rather than finding that satisfaction in God or finding that that pleasure in God, uh, we're going in another direction. And ultimately, that is the question that you have to ask. Well, what is wrong with God? Why is he not satisfying you? What is the break in the relationship with God that you are pursuing porn rather than God? The gospel shrinks these cravings for pleasure and for satisfaction and for affection and for affirmation. The gospel swallows up all of those, but there's something dynamically broken again in the porn addict's relationship with God to where the gospel is not doing those things, not satisfying those things, and so they're choosing an alternate pursuit. And so as you begin to address the porn addict, you want to bring these things up. You want to explore this functional breakdown of the gospel in their heart. You want to get them talking about it and their relationship with God and what that breakdown is, what that problem is. And the keys are confessing these truths and asking for help. You will know if you're at the place of of starting to walk out repentance for a porn addiction by recognizing these truths that I've just communicated to you, but not just affirming them, but now taking the next step of asking for help. When the prodigal son came to the end of himself in Luke 15, 17, he sat down in the hog lot and he confessed these things. Uh, as he talked about what he had been doing and what he should be doing and what it was like with his father. And he began to make a plan. He began to affirm that I need to change my life. That was part number one. But then part number two, he actually got up and he acted on the very plan that he scripted out while he was in the hog lot. And he went to his father and and he said the very things that he scripted out in the hog lot. And so when helping the porn addict, you can gauge the seriousness of their presented repentance if they're confessing this gospel breakdown in their heart as you present that to them. And then their willingness to activate a plan which has sequential, actionable steps that are objective and measurable. And so when looking for porn, you want to start in the heart and you're looking for the gospel breakdown to where the gospel is not satisfying, God is not working for me, which is a crass way of saying it, but they're choosing to go down the porn portal instead. But if the individual is willing to work through uh, this and they're willing to walk through those actionable items, then you want to help them with God's solutions for overcoming the temptation. Now, I want to give you three ways that the New Testament teaches that we overcome temptation that we work through temptation and addiction the new testament gives us three broad categories to help think about and to work through temptation and so if a person has come to that realization they they're at the end of themselves and they see the two opportunities before them i can continue down the porn road or i can continue down the gospel road if they're at that place and they're ready to take those actionable steps then what you want to do is to begin to teach them how to overcome temptation. There are three ways in the New Testament. The first one is amputation. The second one is mortification. And the third one is limitation. And let me explain all three of those quickly. Amputation in Matthew 5, 29 It says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away, for it's better, that you lose one of your members, than that your whole body be thrown into hell. Now, he goes on to talk about cutting off your hand, and Jesus is using hyperbolic language here. So these are not literal statements, but he's intensifying uh, the dire straits that a person is in and the urgency uh, that the person needs to step into because they're in a horrific place. In fact, the right before this, he says, if you lust after a woman, that's why he says that you uh, tear your uh, right eye out. Uh, he's talking about lusting after a woman. That's the context of this passage here in 529. But what he's talking about is this amputation thing. You want to get away from it. You want to cut it off from your life. Now, again, these are not literal statements. This is hyperbole. But in an apl- applicable way, you want to think about behavioral modification is what we're talking about. Behavioral modification. Behavioral modification has its place in biblical counseling. It is important. And so if you are the alcoholic and you drive by the liquor store every day on your way to work, well, you want to amputate that and you want to find another way to drive to work. You want to behaviorally modify because you'll be drawn into that liquor store if you keep passing it twice a day to and from work. That is amputation. And thinking in the realm of pornography, you want to do the same thing. You want to survey the scene of your life, of your house, uh, the things that you do, the internet, your computer, your devices, and you want to do amputation. But as I stated in the previous point that if you're going to address pornography there is a heart issue and if all you do is cut off these things from your life if you pour the liquor down the drain the liquor is going to come back and if you cut off these various mechanisms or these tributaries that bring pornography to you or allow you to enter into them they will come back because you haven't dealt with the problem at the root or in the heart which is what the word mortification means in Romans 8:13 Paul says if you live according to the flesh you will die but if by the spirit you put to death, the deeds of the body. You will live. Now, what the word mortification means? It is an internal operation, and it means to to suck the vitality, or or to extract the power of something out of you. The illustration that I commonly use to talk about amputation and mortification is the common cold. If you have a common cold. There are amputatable things that that you do. You you wipe your nose. You wash your hands, and you take medicine. All of those are physical, behavioral things, and they have a role to play. They are important. But you also know, no matter what you do in an amputatable way, it is going to be seven to ten days because. To get over the cold because there is a disease inside of your body and so what you have to do in addition to these amputatable behavioral things is that you have to deal with the source of the disease or the cold in this illustration and so when it comes to a pornography addiction yes you do the amputatable things but you also want to extract Uh, the disease from the heart, to use the medical analogy, but the idolatries of the heart, and I'll speak to some of those idolatries in just a moment, you have to address it at the source. And then the third illustration is limitation. Limitation comes right out of Hebrews 12, 1, where it talks about laying aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and so everything in your life might not be a sin but it can be a weight and so if if television is a portal for you to look at pornography. Well, television is not in itself a sin, but it can be a weight that leads to sin to you, and so you want to, again, address those things in your life. You say, well, that's not sinful. Well, no, it's not, but again, if it's tempting and alluring to you, then you may want to limit those things, and so amputation, mortification, and limitation. Now I want to share just a few questions about this idea of overcoming temptation. Uh, I've been talking about amputation and mortification and limitation. Here's a few thoughts as I wrap up this point, and then I'll move to the final two. One of the things that you want to address is, does the person have clear sin categories? And what I mean by that is the temptation will be to round the corners off their sin by relabeling it, redefining it, and other minimizing tactics. Maybe they don't have clear sin categories because they've never thought about what they've been doing in a purely biblical way, and they have habituated themselves into this relabeling strategy or redefining, downplaying, minimizing, and even as they begin to walk out these actionable steps, what you're probably going to find is this habit here, and so you want to introduce them to clear biblical language and a way of talking about what they have done. And so one of the things you want to examine are their clear sin categories. You also want to make sure that they have given their friends permission to speak into their lives. Now, this is an appropriate thing. This is like uh, ripples in a pond. You, you don't want to just broadcast this to everyone, but there's an inner circle of appropriate friends that you want to talk to and you want to share with them how temptations happen. You're starting to build your companions, and as you do this, this will help you to overcome temptation. And then there's another conversation that you can have, which is my seventh point, and as the, the couple matures, uh, what you hope is that they can be honest with each other. Now, this this will be hard, and it may not be something that would happen in the beginning. If you're dealing with someone who is struggling with pornography, uh, it may just be you and him that are talking about it, and you're not at the place uh, to bring this in the marriage, to have these conversations, because the marriage is just not, just not stable enough. This is the ultimate litmus test. There's going to be elements of fear and guilt and shame and There's going to be anger and offenses, and there could be all kinds of problems, and so you want to make sure that the person who is coming through the addiction, that they are in a stable place, and then you continue to intensify, and you hope that, or you add degrees of difficulty would be a better way of saying it, and you hope that they could get to the place of having these conversations within the home, which is the ultimate companion that you want in your life to help you to work through your, your issues. And of course, you start with your attitude with God first. He is the stabilizer. And so as you help the addict to restore their relationship with God and to begin to grow, uh, then you can start moving uh, toward the relationship within the marriage dynamic man's sexual temptations. that is what he struggles with and and so it's a very real temptation. They struggle differently uh, than a, a wife would or a woman would. And as you have these conversations, you know, just talking through this, it's important, it's been important for Lucia and I to have these conversations how I, excuse me, how I am tempted differently than she is. but one of the problems with this and one of the things you want to, assess is that a wife will be easily offended by that, and that's understandable. Uh, But what you want is to be able to bring the wife along and to understand that all of us are totally depraved, but we are uniquely fallen. And so a man's unique depravity, it is a certain way, and And that's just the way it is, that men are attracted physically, generally speaking, uh, to the opposite sex. And that is a sexual temptation, and I know that that can be an offense. But again, as as the marriage continues to stabilize, you can get to the place. I mean, we're at that place in our marriage, and other people will testify the same. Uh, that they can have these conversations as they move into the deeper aspects of what it means to be a man and a woman. Of course, the way that you start these conversations is through prayer, which goes back to the previous slide where I was talking about being stable in God first. And so you really want to enter into these potential conversations that you're going to have with prayer and then my last point is practically speaking I want to quickly just lay out a practical plan but let me say this that be sure to review all the concepts and the questions that I've been asking throughout this webinar things that I've already covered there's much to glean practically from the entire webinar you can go back and play it over you, again you can screenshot it you can scribble out the notes uh, the questions that I've been asking and you can use the entire webinar but let me hit a few practical, Ideas. First, I want to talk about transparency. Transparency, uh, you want to be transparent, and part of being transparent is just being very open that a person who is addicted to porn has a worship disorder. I talked about that earlier, where you're at the intersection to where you're either going to uh, receive your pleasure from God, or you're going to seek sinful ways of receiving pleasure. And if you go down a pornographic route, well, that is a worship disorder. And so there's something functionally wrong, functionally wrong with their worship. James talks about this in 114, that uh, we are we are lured away by our own desires. This gets back to uh, the heart of the matter, dealing with the core. So there's something wrong with this person's desire. So a part of their worship disorder are these confused and Uh, sinful desires that they have that's drawing them into pornography, which leads to the question that I did ask earlier, what is your problem with the Lord? Why are you going left when you should be going right? And so you want to... uh, be able to have these transparent conversations with the person about their worship disorder. You also want to explain to them, as I was talking earlier, that God gave this uh, sex to you for a good reason. But Adam, because of the fall of Adam, it has turned evil. It has become distorted. And so you don't want them to over penalize themselves as though they are some kind of unusual or abnormal person. The truth is they are acting normally. Abnormal is to be otherworldly, to be God-centered. And so you want to walk them through this and make sure they have a good understanding of what God meant and what Adam is doing to all of us. And then you want to give them a plan. The plan is in Ephesians 4. Put off, renew, and put on, and let me break those down for you. Let's talk about renewing, the center part. Putting off can be a behavioral modification thing. I talked about that with the idea of amputation. Putting on as well, but Again, I want to continue to focus on the heart idolatries and what may be going on in a person's heart. So you want to walk them through how to take thoughts captive. I have a very good article on our website that that talks about that. You want to target the the heart. I talked about the theater of the mind. And so as you target the heart and get inside the theater of the mind, there are idolatries that you're going to find, and you want to address these potential idolatries. Control would be an idol, a person who wants to be in control. Uh, Fear and insecurity and anger can be part of what feeds this desire to control, and since I can't control my universe, I can step into the theater of my mind, and I can control my world of pornography, and so the idol of control will be evident in a pornographic mind. The The idol of power a person who wants to conquer and and win. They can't do this in their real world, but they can step into pornography and they can conquer and win because they are in charge of the narrative in the theater. There's an element of perversion as well, the voyeur or the fantasy uh, living in this false world. It creates a delusion in the mind. Insecurity, a person who is fearful and lonely and rather than stepping out and engaging the real world and in real space with real people it, again it's a it's a person trying to manipulate or control the narrative and so they create their own friend list through these cyber women as an illustration there's elements of anger here it's an angry heart because a person who steps in uh, to pornography is an angry person because they are devaluing a person made in the image of God. And that's what pornography, that's a a large part of what pornography is. And so you're going to find anger in play. Again, you want to address these heart issues. And so I've listed six of them here. Control, power, voyeur or fantasy, insecurity, anger, and then the last one is dissatisfaction, a discontented soul. And so as you target the heart and begin to take thoughts captive, you enter into the theater of this person's mind, and you want to renew the mind, here are six idolatries that you want to address. As far as the putting off and the putting on, the amputation part, the limitation part that I was talking about earlier, you want to create, I think it was Stuart Scott that uh, shared this in my MABC program. I can't quite remember, it was a long time ago, but uh, my prof talked about blocks and fans. And so you want to create blocks and fans. What blocks do is they hinder you. They keep you from getting to something. And so you put obstacles in in your way. And this is a conversation that you would want to have with an individual to see what that means to you and what you can implement into your life. And then fans are things that propel you, that push you toward Christ. And so putting off, I'm using the metaphor of blocks and putting on. I'm using the metaphor of fans, things that propel you toward Christ. And then you want to have a in-depth conversation about habits. I talked about the power of habits earlier. They can be awful things because they can habituate you into all kinds of sin, but then they can also be beautiful things as they habituate you in paths of righteousness. And so you want to identify your porn habits. uh, What are they? Begin to put up those blocks Put in the instill those fans, get inside the theater of the mind, uh, begin to address what has taken those thoughts captive, break down those worship structures, those idolatries, and then you want to begin to create new habits. And then you also want to build a community around yourself. You've addressed many of the bad companions by dealing with some of the questions and ideas that I've been sharing with you, and then you want to begin to build good companions. uh, Replace those companions even up to the point to where you can have sexual conversations with your wife that are transparent to where she becomes one of your primary soul care providers. This has been a lot. I have have given you a, a lot of information. Here are the eight, eight uh, points of my outline. Sexual temptation, I'm not gonna rehash these. Men and temptation, the backward porn addiction, parents encouraging porn, looking for porn, overcoming temptation, sexual conversations with your spouse, and then practically speaking. I would encourage you to do two things. One, go back and replay the tape, go through this, slowly stop, pray along the way, have someone watch this with you would be vital, and then ask questions along the way. And then if we can serve you, I would encourage you to jump on our website. We have zillions of of words through articles, videos, podcasts. We have interactive forums that we can continue uh, talking about these things, and it would be a joy for us to serve you. So let us do that, but minimally uh, build your friend list, your appropriate friend list, and work through the things that I've shared with you. And I'm so thankful that you persevered to the end, and if you have watched this far, then just let me encourage you, these resources are free, and if you have benefited from this webinar and other resources on our website, and you are in a position to where you can help us well, I would encourage you to, would you pray about underwriting our ministry financially? Uh, it takes thousands of dollars every month to do exactly uh, what what I'm doing here. And we have a team of folks that we pay uh, to do this. And so it's an expensive operation, but it's a joy of love to be able to share these resources freely. Of course, we cannot do this without our Uh, folks who are underwriting our ministry by their gifts. And so if you are in a position to give monthly, annually, or one time, I would appeal to you to do so. The title of the webinar, Porn, Perplexity, and Possibility. My name is Rick Thomas. It has been a joy to serve you. Thank you for watching. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.